Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 I've begun using a really cool service from Aviva IQ, and it's made my life so much easier. My guests love receiving all the important details about their stay exactly when they need it. And I love all the five-star reviews I'm getting on communication. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. Welcome, another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. And today I'm co-hosting this news episode with Marco Smorak, of course, co-founder and CEO of Hostly. So Marco, how's it going? Great. Thank you. And welcome, everybody. Happy to be on today. We did a little preparation before we started recording because we have a really interesting question from one of our listeners that we're going to cover at the end of this episode. And that is about how to price and set yourself up to optimize for special events. The Super Bowl is coming up and somebody in Minneapolis is looking forward to renting out their place just for the Super Bowl. And so how do you do that? So we're going to talk about that at the end of the episode. But first, we're going to cover the news of this week, which is extremely cheerful, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, no, we really had to struggle to find some interesting things to talk about in the news this week. Some very unhappy things going on for Airbnb in terms of guests inflicting violence on other guests, but I don't think we need to talk about that so much today. We did see that interesting article, which was kind of a reflection on the Airbnb blog. I understand that you guys may have covered that a few weeks ago, though, Jasper? Yeah, we did touch upon it, but it doesn't hurt to kind of you know repeat the main takeaways because I think it was very useful. Yeah. So this was an article in Forbes that talks about how Airbnb hosts can optimize their search rankings on the Airbnb platform. And I thought it was really well written because what it does is actually dispel a bunch of myths that people have been talking about with the platform. A few of them were, first of all, that being a super host actually does not help your SEO ranking. And I think that comes as a surprise to many. A lot of Airbnb hosts really work hard to get that super host ranking quarter after quarter, and they take a lot of pride in it. And I think that people expected that that would be a contributor towards more search traffic, but it turns out it's not. What does help is visits and clicks and levels of interest in your listing. So if you're on a lot of people's wish lists or you have a listing that has beautiful photos where people are clicking into the listing but not booking, that can help your search ranking. But things like being a super host and also tweaking your listing, like just making changes for changes sake, they don't necessarily optimize your search results. So I thought it was helpful that Airbnb put out something publicly about how to optimize for that. But it was interesting that some of the things that a lot of people believed were things that could help you, like being a super host and changing your listing, don't really play into it. The one other thing to mention, and actually this will also come into play when we talk about that Super Bowl question at the end, is that Airbnb search results are already highly personalized for the user. So if a user 
is logged in and they're searching for a destination, they're already going to get a set of customized search returns based on who they are and what they've looked at in the past and also places that they've stayed at in the past. So one thing to do when you are looking at your own search ranking is to make sure to open an incognito window. You can do that in Chrome if you're using that browser by just going into file and then going into new incognito window. What that does is it erases all of your personal search history and also your logins. And then you can run a search on Airbnb to see what a person who has never been, you know, kind of affected by like your personal preferences would see on Airbnb. So that's a great way to look at search results without being influenced by your own social profiles or your own searching history on on the internet. Yeah, that's a good point. I always get a lot of questions from people uh, who are panicking because they can't find their own listing. It's good to know that there's the personalized search results. And also, if you're in a big city and you're searching for your own listing, then you won't often see the listing because Airbnb can only display a certain amount of listings. And if you're in New York or something, there's like you know 15,000 or something. So you really have to zoom in on the map on, you know, on your own neighborhood before you can find your own listing. Another article that I think is worth touching upon is an article about a guy in Asbury Park. I believe that's in New Jersey. The local council has a plan to prohibit Airbnb listings or prohibit the renting out of short-term rentals unless you are present in the house during the time that you rent it out. And there is this guy who bought a property a while ago for a pretty good price. And then he, uh, he spent a couple hundred thousand dollars refurbishing it. And now it's a really nice house. But now the local authorities, they, they value it at a million dollars, and which means that he has to pay like $20,000 in taxes, in property taxes. And so his idea was to rent it out to kind of like uh, cover those taxes. But he now is worried that he won't be allowed to do that. And he didn't just sit down and accept it, but he went out on the street and got the required 156 signatures that allows him to force the local council to consider his alternative ordinance. And if they reject it, then they have to do a referendum on the topic. I just thought it was cool that, you know, that one person has the ability, has the power to kind of like fight back against local authorities, that the authorities can't just create rules and there's nothing you can do about it. And so, you know, it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen if the referendum is going to be in this favor or not. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Referendums are interesting things. In California, we have these propositions where you also can get a certain number of signatures and put something on the ballot. It's it's caused quite a nightmare, actually, for the state because there are propositions that are very complex and they kind of override previous ones. So there's a lot of legal complexity when looking at state laws. But I imagine for a smaller community like Asbury Park, it's actually fewer of them. So probably it's easier to navigate. But it is really cool how one person can advocate for themselves in such an effective way. I think that's a great part of the, about the government there. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. Um, there is an article on Fortune. And this is, of course, written by Lee Gallagher, who writes a lot about Airbnb. And she interviewed Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky a while ago. And she's written a bunch of articles based on the interview. And in this particular article, she talks about the IPO. So he, she asked Brian Chesky, whether Airbnb is going to be IPOing in 2018. 
because in March 2017, Brian Chesky said that Airbnb was halfway through a two-year project that mm. was supposed to get them IPO ready. But mm -hmm. he emphasized in the article that that doesn't mean that just the fact that they're ready for an IPO doesn't mean that they're actually going to do the IPO. And he mentions mm -hmm. a story about <laughs> a conversation that he had with Warren Buffett, who advised him to get rich slow. He's always had that in the back of his mind. And he emphasizes that he wants to take it slow. He doesn't want to rush it. That's the same thing that he's doing with the Airbnb experiences, you know, where he's kept the amount of hosts to a certain number. I can't remember the exact number. Mm -hmm. But in any case, uh, he seems to implicitly kind of wants to communicate the message that, you know, just because they'll be ready in 2018, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to IPO that year. And it might even, it might take longer. Mm -hmm. Although... The way he's positioning it does allow for a lot of PR spin. So it's just really good PR, <laughs> I think, <laughs> what he's doing. I mean, it makes sense. A lot of companies have IPO'd too early and they do it when they haven't really established their growth model yet. And I think we're seeing, especially tech CEOs, take a much more conservative approach because they've seen companies really implode after the IPO. And just because you've IPO does not mean you're a success. So it makes sense, you know, given where tech is right now, that he's trying to figure out the slow, careful way of achieving that goal without without positioning it to be too soon, too. If he positions it to be that it's coming up soon and then they don't, then, you know, then actually the IPO could be affected. Yeah, <laughs> so there's yeah, a absolutely. lot at stake there. And we've seen at least one big tech company that didn't have a very successful IPO. I think it was called Blue Apron. Is it a meal delivery company? Yes. I think their stock price is like 50% lower than the IPO. IPO really hadn't figured out the business model in a thorough enough way. And IPOs can expose big shortcomings in businesses. Actually, the company I worked for before this called Service Source, when they IPO'd, the stock was around like 15 or 17. Now it's been hovering at three for the last 10 years. So there's a lot more to go after an IPO. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the investors and probably the co-founders as well. I mean, often with these IPOs, there's some rules as to when the investors are allowed to sell their, their shares, right? And the investment yes. bank that supports it also has to hold on to these shares for a while. So, yep. you know, that's also kind of in their own interest to make sure that doesn't turn into a disaster because then, you know, a lot of investors are not going to be very happy. Well, that and then also you can actually become personally liable if you're a public officer of a company and you somehow misrepresent the financial expectations of your company. And when you're a private company, you are pretty much conditioned to always talk about how things are rosy. But when you're a public company, you have to balance it because yeah. if you're talking about things that are unrealistic, investors can actually sue you. And that happens a lot. So right. it's important for people to take that really seriously. And, and it's all good things. I mean, you know, that comes with like the new SEC compliance rules, which, you know, happened in the like, after the 2008-2009 crisis, right? There was a, a crackdown on that stuff. So yep. these are all good things, <laughs> but it's just a lot more accountability to go from a private company to a public company. Hosts, does it feel like you're spending way too much time responding to questions from your Airbnb guests? Is the fear of a possible bad review keeping you up at night? I recently learned about a really helpful service called Aviva IQ. With Aviva IQ, my workload and worries have reduced dramatically. 
all I had to do was link my Airbnb listings to Aviva IQ, create my messages and schedule delivery times. That's it. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. Now I can sit back and relax knowing that my guests receive all the important details on time, every time. Everybody sleeps better. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. Another hot topic, probably the hottest topics out there, is the crypto world. Cryptocurrencies, mm. Bitcoin, Ethereum, ICOs, all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants to jump on the train and be a part of it. Nobody wants to miss out. And, you know, we can't get around talking about crypto stuff because there is now a platform that just started Crypto Cribs and you can list your home. It kind of looks like a clone, an Airbnb clone. But the difference mm -hmm. is that you can pay with Bitcoin or Ethereum. And then also this platform is planning to use the blockchain as a way to store all the information. So reviews and transactions, everything will be completely public. I'm sure there's people who will be interested in that if you're a big fan of cryptocurrencies. But it doesn't really have a lot of listings yet. So they've yeah. literally just started out. And so you know, it's really hard to start like an online marketplace. It's really hard to get traction. And there's a few mm -hmm. other companies that are planning to jump in the Airbnb space and make use of the blockchain. There's a couple ICOs that uh, mm -hmm. have taken place. I've actually personally invested a little bit in this company called Atlant, atlant.io, which I'm also in contact with the founder. So I'm hoping to get them on the podcast as well mm -hmm. as the founder of CryptoCrypts, actually. So you know, hopefully we'll be able to learn and hear a little bit more about what they're planning exactly. But uh, mm -hmm. what, are you, what are your thoughts, Marco? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you first introduced it, which is like, no matter what currency you're using, the biggest challenge for building a marketplace is to build a two-sided marketplace. It's attracting your supply and attracting demand. And I think that while it might be a little bit easier to raise capital in the cryptocurrency market in order to pay for getting that demand or supply, it still is really, really hard. So I think it's like clever and I could see how maybe it could be acquired one day by a booking platform, like a kind of a short-term acquisition play. But I don't see them able to like really get a lot of users on the platform. But I think that like establishing the mechanisms around cryptocurrency for short-term property management, vacation rentals, you know, whatever Airbnb-ish kind of commerce, that's interesting. But I feel like if Airbnb or Homeoy wanted to just turn on cryptocurrency, they could, and then. They would, they would win. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and Airbnb has so. acquired a company that oh, yeah, they uh, has did. the That's technology, right. right? So they acquired, so they only hired the team. They didn't buy mm -hmm. the entire company. But to Brian Chesky, you know, he does these tweet things every now and then where people can mm -hmm. put in suggestions. And I think mm -hmm. he did it twice. He did it in 2014 and 2016. And in both times, people suggested being able to pay mm -hmm. in Bitcoin. It's pretty clear that Airbnb is they're on track to make Bitcoin payments a feature at some point, it seems, then you can ask yourself, like, what's the added value of a website like CryptoCrypts? Mm -hmm. But I'm sure the founders will be able to provide some uh, insight into that when I interview them, hopefully later this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they will have something to say about that. That's interesting and more than I can think about. The other thing that I wanted to note is that a friend of mine, Maxime, is a founder of a, another travel cryptocurrency called Leaf. 
it's L-I-F with like a little accent over the I, which is sort of problematic from a naming perspective. But anyway, it's a token for travel. And so what they're trying to do is remove a lot of the friction that comes between all the trades that need to happen between buyers and suppliers in travel. And that's a huge, huge, huge market. And I think that like that's a more interesting play because there are a million middlemen in travel, as we all know. And if you can find ways to reduce all that friction or find ways for people to barter instead of paying a portion of the revenue all along the way, it might be interesting for travel. So that could be interesting too. And they might have the ability to raise a lot more money with that too, or raise a lot more cryptocurrency anyway. Definitely doesn't seem to be very hard to raise some money, take any existing business idea and combine it with the blockchain technology, do an SEO (laughs) and uh, and you have a couple million at least, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what it seems like. Um, We'll see how it holds up. Well, let's talk about the question that we got from one of the listeners, because it's a very interesting question. Kaylee, Mm -hmm. she's asking, she lives in Minneapolis and they'll be hosting the 2018 Super Bowl. Minneapolis is my hometown. So I just want to give a shout out to Minneapolis. That's where I grew up. It's kind of (laughs) exciting to answer this question. (laughs) Awesome. So they're going to be hosting the Super Bowl in 2018. And she is one of the people in Minneapolis that are now thinking, hey, I have a house here. And if I go away for a week and I let some Super Bowl fans crash, I can probably charge a pretty decent price, which could be true, but it might might not be (laughs) as lucrative as you might think. But anyway, her question is, you know, how do you maximize your earning potential? It sounds like she wants to specifically rent out for the Super Bowl, but she realizes that, you know, she might have to list it a little bit earlier and rack up some reviews, you know, to build up a little bit of a reputation before she rents it out. And she wants to know, like, what should be the minimum night stay? And, you know, how does she determine prices? And this is a fairly complicated question, but we are going to discuss this and provide a little bit of insight. And I think we should probably start by emphasizing that, you know, if you look at the past Super Bowls, our friends at Beyond Pricing have done some research into this. There's an article on their blog that talks about the Super Bowl in Houston. And what they've discovered is that you might think that you'd be able to charge a really high price, but then what happens is that a lot of people have the same thought. You know, a lot of people <laughs> think along the same yes. lines. And so they saw a massive increase in supply during the Super Bowl in Houston to mm-hmm. the extent where the occupancy rates during the Super Bowl actually dropped from about 55% all the way down to around 25-30%. So that means that a lot of people who listed their Airbnbs for the Super Bowl, they didn't get any guests at all. Their house was just completely empty. But the occupancy drops, but the prices, the average price still goes up a lot. Um, yes. This is a very interesting dynamic. The prices go up by 50 to 100% according to the research that Beyond Pricing did. But because there are so many listings, a lot of those listings actually don't get booked. Yes. So what is the best strategy is the question. Okay. So we spent quite a while researching this. I forget the question or person's question. It's Kelsey? Kaylee. 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 We spent a while researching this, both Jasper and I. And I just remembered something from my economics (laughs) major in college, which was like 15 years ago. And there's this thing called conspicuous consumption, which is when people spend money because and they're not price sensitive. They're doing it because they want to have an experience that makes them feel like it's luxurious. And so actually this is what's happening at the Super Bowl. 
because as part of that article on Beyond Pricing, they talk about how people are even less price sensitive when they're coming to the Super Bowl, that they expect to pay a lot of money for a hotel or a lot of money for their lodging. So Jasper and I thought about it. And even though this sounds kind of crazy, the recommendation for pricing would be almost to keep prices the same or even raise them to position yourself as a premium listing. Because you know that the chances of you renting out your place will go down, but you also know that the reason why people want to come to the Super Bowl is to celebrate and have fun and they're prepared to spend a lot. So there's an opportunity to actually capture some of that premium market by potentially raising your price. Sounds really counterintuitive, but that's what I would try for. Well, the idea is kind of that there's going to be a lot of supply. And so not everybody's going to get booked. The chance that you'll get booked doesn't depend so much on the price because people just don't really care about the price, right? If you look at hotel prices, they're very high as well. Like people are spending $500 or $1,000 a night on hotels. And let's not forget that a ticket to the Super Bowl is $5,000 in itself. So, I mean, if you're spending five grand on a, a ticket, then are you really going to care whether you're paying $200 or $300 or $400 a night? You know, it's, I mean, relative to the, the cost of the whole trip, I'm sure that the flights are going to be pretty expensive as well into Minneapolis. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you compare it to the total cost, then it might not even be the biggest expense. The ticket might actually be more expensive than the accommodation. And so the idea is, well, you might get booked. And then if you get booked, you might as well make a little extra money. And that's kind of the strategy that seems to be the best strategy based on the research that Beyond Pricing did. But there's a few more things that we could mention. For Mm -hmm. example... You know, it also depends on where you're located, right? If you're in a premium spot, if you're right next to the stadium, then obviously you have a much better chance of getting booked, right? I definitely think it's a good idea to to rack up a bunch of reviews beforehand because there's going to be a lot of people who have the same idea and it's going to list their listing just for the Super Bowl. And so they're not going to have yeah. a lot of reviews. So if you start a couple months earlier and, you know, you rent your, out your house on the weekends or something and, and you already have like, you know, five or six five-star reviews, that's definitely a way to stand out from the other listings. I would say that has a better chance of improving your chances to get booked than lowering your price, I think. And then Margot, you, you know, I have to give you credit for this. Uh, you came up with this, but listing on multiple platforms could also be good advice because not everybody is going to look on Airbnb. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, people that live close to Minneapolis. They might not have heard of Airbnb, so they might just Google like accommodation in Minneapolis or something. And so it might mm-hmm. be worth listing on the local sites. And also definitely don't want to turn on instant book if you're listing on all these different listings because you don't, you know, you don't want to get like double bookings and stuff. Yeah. You might want to just see what you get. Start with a fairly high price and see if you get some increase. And if you don't, then you can always drop it a little bit last minute. I don't even know if that's a good idea to drop the price at all because you might even, you might, you might might still get a, a really good price last minute as well. But I would also yeah. pay close attention to what listings in your neighborhood are doing, mm-hmm. you know, to get an idea of what's available and, you know, maybe just go on Airbnb yourself and pretend that you're visiting the Super Bowl. You know, where would you want to stay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to emphasize that point more, I actually did a few searches for renting a home in Minneapolis, which I've personally done because sometimes when I go back to visit family, it's just easier for us to rent a house. And Two things are what you should do. One is you should try some Google searches as if you were a potential guest trying to find a home to rent. So I typed in like rent a home 
for the Super Bowl 2018 in Minneapolis. And then I noticed that Airbnb had only the fourth search ranking on that Google search. And there were, you know, 15 other websites that you could look at to see if you would potentially want to list on any of those that all have really good search rankings. So you can always put yourself in your in your guest's shoes when they're looking for properties. And then back to that original point I made before, like make sure you do it with your in an incognito window in Chrome, which means that none of your search history is being tracked by any of the sites, including Google, so that you can see from a more objective perspective what the search rankings look like for your region. So definitely list on multiple platforms. The other thing, Jasper, I was going to say is like, since you know that the customer is looking for a premium luxury experience, like make it all customized for the Super Bowl. You could even do two different listings, not instant book, obviously, one for like Patriots fans and one for Falcons fans or whoever's going to play in the Super Bowl. We don't know. And like make it branded with their team, you know, like make it about Super Bowl, make it really exciting and fun and include like some swag along with the stay. And maybe that's another way for you to stand out if it's really a priority for you to rent during that time. Because it sounds like you were going to actually leave town for a few weeks. So if you have that vacation already planned and you know you're going to be out of town, like you want to do everything you can to get that that rental. So I would go the extra mile and try to make it make it personalized for that guest if you can. Yeah, I think that's great advice. We're running out of time. Time flies as always. So Marco, thank you so much for joining me on hosting this podcast with me. To all the listeners, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And of course, uh, we'll be back on uh, Monday. Yep. Thanks for having me, Jasper. Always good chatting. Alrighty. Bye bye. Get paid for your pet. 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 Get 